RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. One wrap-up wasn't enough, because let's face it, who really wants to be done with Picard? It's Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. That must mean it's Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Thank you for joining us tonight. There was so much to cover on our wrap-up of Season 1 of Picard. So many morals, meanings, and messages to cover. You know they can't all be contained by one episode of Mission Log Live tonight. We'll give it another go and leave no synth unturned. We have a very special guest tonight, the one and only bad astronomer, Phil Plate himself. And it's not just Phil joining us, it's you too. You are part of the show, and we want you to chime in with your thoughts and opinions. You can click on the Zoom meeting link. You can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can even dial us up the old-fashioned way and enter the meeting code that you will see on screen. Yes, it's time once again for you to share with us your thoughts on Picard with us, morals, meetings, and messages, and a chat with Phil Plate. What do you expect for season two? Everything, except for Laris's hidden disruptor, is on the table tonight. We want to hear from you. Just like John said, you can easily join us through the Zoom meeting link or the phone numbers provided. Earl will greet you, as he always does, and then he will connect you to us. Wait, we, we can't talk about Laris's hidden disruptor? That's we never talk about Laris's we... hidden disruptors, ever. Oh, man, I'm so bummed. Okay, well, I tell you what, in the meantime, while I'm processing that, let's say hi to a few of the folks who are joining us tonight. Um, I, I actually am offline on my other device, but I will just name a few of the people who are joining us. Uh, there's Casey, there's Mike, there's Paul Wright, there's Scott Palm. Uh, very glad to see all of them. And I promise you, I will jump back in on my other device. I'll, I'll stall for a little time <laughs> so I can get back in there and, uh, and say hi to everybody. But a pleasure to see you. You know what to do. You click on the Zoom meeting link or you use a one tap from your smartphone, or you call us on one of those handily provided local numbers and you type in the Zoom meeting code. And uh, really the highlight of your week will be talking to Earl. And then, you know, you, you put up with us for a little while too. I think that's, that's fair. That's, you know, that's a decent trade-off. What do you say? Um, Norman, I do want to let people know once again, what is coming up for Mission Log Live? And then we will get to our poll question as well. Um, Coming up next week, we will have a special guest who you've actually met before on Mission Log Live, and you may actually listen to his show, Josh Kurz. He is one of the hosts and producers of Shabam. Shabam! Uh, Thank you. Well done, Norman. Well done. Uh, It's another website, a a partner website here on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, They did their entire first season a couple of years ago, told a narrative story about a zombie outbreak But what they did is they tied in real lessons about science and critical thinking to help you go through that story with the kids who are the focus of that show. Now, we want to do something a little bit special here. We want to talk about coronavirus. We want to talk about the science uh, of of what's going on. uh, And appropriately, it fits in quite a bit with the narrative that they covered on Shabam. So we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about that in a bit of a Star Trek perspective namely the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few or the one. So it'll be a very interesting chat with Josh. I hope you can all join us next Monday night. That would be April 20th, same time, same channel, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern 
here on facebook.com slash mission log pod. And then, then we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, not everything has been decided yet. Uh, we're talking about doing uh, some check-in videos, some little bits here and there, but we are going to take a little bit of a break, retool, reboot a little bit, but I promise we will let you know when we're coming back. This will not affect the release of the regular mission log. That will still continue to come out Thursday mornings at 12 a.m. Pacific. And of course, the other shows on mission log, uh, sorry, the other shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network will also be there for you. So, uh, Norman, before we meet our guest, before we talk to our guest, uh, we, of course, always like to cover our poll questions. Uh, we have a new poll question for this week and, of course, our poll question from last week. So last week, as we were wrapping up Picard, we asked you, how do you feel at the end of season one? Are you engaged or just not even? Well, I'm pleased to say that 75% of you were engaged by Picard season one. 25% of you, meh, <laughs> that's where you left it. But uh, very interesting to hear. And Norman, similarly tonight, we have a question about ending season one. What do we want? What are we expecting for season two? Norman, if you'd like to share that uh, result with our listeners. For our, for our poll results for uh, Picard season two, so far we're standing at, Serialized Arc at 51% and Standalone Stories at 49%. And that's just our initial post for today. So it'll be really interesting to see how this shakes out because there has been uh, a little bit of feedback from a lot of our listeners saying that they want to see Star Trek return to the great standalone stories of yesteryear. Yeah. Do you guys get I, that? Specifically yesteryear? Or? Not, well, you know, kind of yesteryear-ish. Or they want tomorrow to be yesterday. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I, look, I, I, I kind of want my cake and to eat it too. I think Star Trek does very well by having standalone stories, but I also want longer, deeper story arcs, kind of the way that DS9 was able to skirt that line. We had stories and we had character arcs that took a long time to develop, but at the same time, they would throw in the standalone stories where you could just you know, watch an episode and go, oh, okay, here's what they were trying to get across in that episode, but you're also sort of laying the foundation for other character moments or longer story elements that uh, that will take you through the entire series. I kind of want both. Or maybe what I want is for, uh, if we're getting 10 episodes or 12 episodes or however many we get in season two, maybe we get a few longer standalone episodes, like say three, four hour stories, something like that. I don't know. Be curious to see uh, how they pull it off. So, John, you're saying you want your cellular peptide cake and eat it and too. And eat it too. But okay. with mint frosting, Norman. With of course. frosting, okay. We're not barbarians. Hey. <laughs> uh, you know, I bet our guest might have a thing or two to, uh, to share about this, to chime in about. Um, I am so pleased to welcome back to the show uh, Phil Plate. Now, you probably know him as the bad astronomer. You can find his blog, Bad Astronomy, on sci-fi.com. That is F-Y-F-Y.com. And you've probably seen or heard Phil as a host and guest in all kinds of places, on podcasts, on Discovery Channel, as a speaker at the Amazing Meeting and SciCon. Maybe you've read his books, Bad Astronomy or Death from the Skies. 
Heck, you've probably seen a picture or two from the Hubble Space Telescope, and he worked on that too. Welcome back to the show, Phil Plate. Phil, welcome back to Mission Log. How's it going? Permission to come aboard. <laughs> Permission granted. You're <laughs> Thank very you. welcome. Um, hey, listen. Ooh, oh, I can't, I can't oh we were so close. We were so <laughs> close, though. My lips are too dry. Sorry about that. Hey. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, first things first, before we get into things about Picard, um, how are you doing during all of this? Uh, talk, talk to us. Just tell us what's happening in your part of the world. Uh, thank you for asking. Me and mine, we're, we're healthy as far as we know. Uh, you know, um, we, we live out in the country of Colorado. I work mm-hmm. from home. I've been working from home now for over a decade, um, and so does my wife. And so... In many ways, this isn't that different than how we normally do things. It's just that instead of, you know, needing to get something for one of the animals or something, we wait. And it's like, well, you know, when we're out of milk and eggs, we'll go and we'll take care of that too. Gotcha. All right. But yeah, Good. so we're very lucky. And I, um, I've made a point of this too, is to find out how other people are doing, because I don't know how this is affecting other folks. Uh, are they watching more TV? I mean, or are they, are they writing, reading more, you know, what, or, or is it, is it more like, you know, you're having to focus more on day-to-day life to, to yeah. get that paycheck. I don't, I, and so it's, it's been interesting to, to, and, and well, I want to be careful how I phrase this. I don't want to make it sound like this is all very academic. Um, it's been sad. It's been difficult. It's been inspiring. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's just been interesting to hear from everybody and see how, uh, in, in a sense, it's idic, right? It's everybody's seeing yeah. things a bit differently. Uh, and it's fascinating to, to participate in that. Well, it is very interesting that it is a, a totally shared set of conditions globally, which is something that rarely ever happens. But the way it plays out is sort of the individual stories are very individual. So exactly. yeah, it has, but, but I'm glad that you're doing well and uh, glad that uh, you're safe. And I assume you put on the hazmat suit before you leave the house and uh, all, all the, <laughs> I don't have to out here. I'm, I'm in the yeah. middle of nowhere out here. Okay. So, yeah, it's right. pretty easy just to get out and walk around. Good, good. Um, well, Hey, I, I want to share something that uh, I, I thought was kind of funny that I, you had been talking on Twitter about the card and um, <laughs> so you had been talking about how much you were enjoying it. And uh, we got in touch and said, Hey, come back to the show. Let's talk about Picard. And then uh, I want to say a couple of weeks later, you actually sent Rod an email about enjoying Picard. And uh, shortly after that, he sent me an email saying, Hey, have you thought about getting Phil played on the show? (laughs) I'm like, so funny. You should ask. Uh, Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, But uh, I figured he knew. Yeah, you had no. We never talk. We never talk. Uh, <laughs> um, tell me what your initial impressions were. What your initial kind of hopes for Picard were, and then how did that play out over those ten episodes? I want to know kind of where you landed with it. Ooh, my hopes. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. What my hope was. I, I think I, I was hoping. I, I well, it, looking back on the time before the show came out, after it was announced, but before it came out. I was hoping that it would be up to date that, uh, you know, they wouldn't, you know, I heard that it was going to be, it wasn't going to be episodic. It was going to be sort of a story arc. And I was glad about that because I liked the idea of, of taking your time, letting the story unfold. Um, I knew we were going to meet new characters. So I was just interested to see how they, how they did that. Um, And, and I, 
really, really don't like spoilers. So I super avoided everything, uh, except for the news that Jerry Ryan was going to be on it because that uh, um, I was at Comic-Con when that was announced and I wasn't at that talk because I knew there was no way to get in. And um, I don't remember how I heard. It. I think it was on Twitter. I was just checking Twitter and then there were like a thousand people <laughs> saying, oh my God, Seven of Nine's going to be back. So, all right, that's cool. Uh, then I sat down and watched the first episode and was just destroyed by it, just blown away. Um, wow. wide, and, and a lot of it was how it was made, the wide format, the lighting, uh, the colors that they used, the way they paced things, just all of that um, really made it cinematic. Uh, yeah. You know, like even more cinematic than some of the movies that have come out. Uh, and I knew right away, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to love this. As long as the story is okay, I'll be happy. And right. then the story turned out to be very good, actually. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm very pleased. I have some issues. We can talk about that. But overall, very, very happy with how this show turned out. Well, I think absolutely we will talk about those issues. And, and one of the first things that came to mind for me was knowing you and, and what your background and, and interests are. Um, I have to know what science elements made you go nuts. Because I, I know that, look, it's it Star Trek. We all, every single one of us, we have a great deal of suspension of disbelief when it comes to Star Trek anyway. But, but, but every now and then, something will just jump out at you. No matter who you are suspending your disbelief, one or more things might just jump out and it takes you out of it completely. Uh, so you having the science background that you do, I'm curious what, uh, what drove you crazy? I have to think about that. Um, well, giant space flowers, that was Gi jarring. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, really? Um, an odd call, but okay. Um, yeah. No, uh, the, um, there was one sort of scientific thing that I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know if I know it well enough to be able to complain about it too much. And one thing that was awesome. Um, oh. So the one thing that, that, that kind of bugged me was the fact that these synths are indistinguishable from humans. And I don't know how you would do that. I mean, it's not like Starfleet uses face recognition. You know, it's, if you're right. beaming somebody or, uh, or they're walking into a secure establishment, like say a board cube um, <laughs> or just whatever, um, if, if they're human, they're human. But if, if they're also synthetic, and they're synthetic in the way, in the sense that data was, you know, I can't imagine they had positronic brains because that would be uh, just, just walking around. You'd be able to, to measure that somehow. Um, right. But how would you take, you know, these ugly bags of mostly water that we are, you know, these bags of meat and, <laughs> and say, yeah, we're going to program them like data. How would you do that without it? tipping off somehow that they're not human. So I don't, I don't see that. I'm an astronomer, yeah. not a synthetic, synthetic <laughs> I can't remember what uh, Alison Pill's uh, character calls herself. Um, a cyberneticist, maybe, I guess. That sounds um, good to me. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how you do that. Well, no, uh, I, I had a similar question though, because uh, especially when we got to Capellius and you had different versions of sense. So you had Sutra who looked like data, 
but you know, with the gold skin and the yellow eyes, you know, okay, that that's a version that is closer to data. And we've seen data with his skin off. We we know that he's got machine parts, and, and we know what a positronic brain looks like. But then you have the others who, you, as you mentioned, are indistinguishable from humans. And and yeah, I don't know what that means because you're talking about flesh and blood, and it's almost an easier thing to believe when you get to the golem where they dump. Picard's consciousness, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but just to say, yeah, we, we've got these bodies. What happens when you put it through a transporter? The transporter is looking at atomic structure and looking at DNA and looking at all these other things that would make it go, wait, this isn't a naturally occurring humanoid being. This is something created. Yeah, uh, that... That, that, that's a bit of a, oh, wait, Norman, Nor, Norman's if, figured it if out. If I may, if, if I may okay. point, be a point of contention in this particular discussion, and this is just <laughs> to stir up the pot because I'm a pot stirrer. Okay, stir it up. So there is a little bit borrowed from Terminator here, you know, the James Cameron classic. And there's one scene where uh, Kyle Reese is being interrogated by the psychologist and he's like, you know, well, you know, if, if technology can't get through the time machine, then, then how did this Terminator get through? Because he was a, a cybernetic body wrapped in organic tissue. And the one thing about the Federation, and I want to quote uh, Admiral, the Admiral Clancy, is that there is a sheer effing hubris about the Federation in total. And you don't really flag something that you're not looking for. And they're not looking for some type of treachery that's going on behind the scenes. So if, if it's kind of like the, uh, the guy, when Picard walks up and he says, you know, I'm Jean-Luc Picard and, and the, the guy who's taking his information at the front desk, he's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's great. That's cool. Everyone's like, you know, this, this is Jean-Luc Picard. Like, why wouldn't you show him the absolute 100% most severe amount of reverence right here? And the guy's like, because it's not in his wheelhouse. He like the car's not in his wheelhouse. So maybe when yeah. things happen, when the synths are, are, are doing what they're doing, people just aren't looking. You know, infiltration is actually really easy when people aren't looking. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Asha and Soji, they're the only ones that actually hit the height of that synthetic slash flesh development of those synths. The rest of the synths on Cornelius were of the data strain. Oh, were they? Were they? Do they all? Yeah, I mean, most of them had the gold skin and the yellow eyes. Yeah, yeah they all had yellow up. eyes. They all had gold skin. Only because synth, um, Soji and Asha, they were sent out for a very specific reason. Because there was a line of dialogue saying, "Like, did you return with all the data that you wanted to to collect?" Th- nope. Phil, go ahead. Nope. Um, because there were the two that uh, uh, that uh, like the. Uh, the character names are, are flying right out of my head. Rios knew oh, he sure. on his other yeah. ship and they were human. Oh, they, right. Yeah. They, they were, were actually, they were, yeah. I think they were synths. They just looked like Soji. That's but, what I mean. That's they the were, thing. Yeah. The human type synths. So there were at least four. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but that's what I mean. Like you're, pass. you're, yeah. you're looking at, you're looking at things that you're not really kind of like aware or it doesn't really throw up a red flag. You know what I mean? I would be willing to buy that as a plot point. Um, um, and there's, there's this, there's this desire to try to make Star Trek real to, to say, but you know, if this were to really happen, what would happen? And in my head, it's like, well, even if they are, you know, a Terminator beaming them, there's a biofilter. And, you know, and if, uh, if, if somebody's standing there at the tele, the, the transporter console and they see that, 
you know, this guy looks human, but he weighs 800 pounds. You know, that doesn't make sense. Or, uh, you know, they filter out deadly viruses. They scan for weapons. There's all that sorts of, all that sort of thing that happens. Right, now, right. it would be possible step by step to know every protocol that the transporter has and to say, okay, we're going to get past that. Um, but it, it, I don't know if you could do that. I'm in, and this is sort of my point. I don't see how that would work. Even if you're not looking for it, the transporter has these protocols in it. Now, of course, if you know what those protocols are, maybe you can get around them. Um, but even, even without that sort of thing, just physically how you would take something which is a sack of meat like we are and make it also uh, as, you know, have, have the brain of an Android. I don't know. I just don't Programmable. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, Chris in the chat has a, a great comment. He says, in Battlestar Galactica, no test could reveal a Cylon, but then their backbones glowed during sex and Boomer could just jack a computer into her arm. <laughs> Yeah. So um, very good. Now, point, mind Chris. you, you know, Gaius wasn't really, we don't know if his test was ever really good. Uh, that's true. That's so, true. He could have been like, oh yeah, the test works. Cause I yeah. said it worked. And, and yeah. I, I, I was a little confused about all. I rewatched that recently and I'm not a hundred percent sure that uh, uh, his motivations were wholly worked out at that point. But um, uh, it was, uh, it, 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 it brought up some interesting points. And I remember thinking about that while watching Picard. And it's like, well, this oh, is interesting. Right. How do you test for this? It, there was one and why didn't they know O was half Romulan? How did she, you know, get, oh, get right. away with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Although, seems like something that would be, yeah. When, when you're in charge of security <laughs> at that level. She wasn't always in charge of security. You know, it's yeah, not like she got off up the, the transport and they said, hey, you look like, you look like a Vulcan who needs sunglasses. I trust you. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I wonder if there was just never any tests or, you know, and I know Romulans and Vulcans are similar, but you know, not, not perfectly. So yeah. interesting. I guess I we have wondering. to, we, we have to fall into the auspices that the Federation is trusting. Yes. So of course they are. Yeah. Um, Phil, I was going to ask if you had any comment or feeling about eight sons in that system. Well, uh, that was so. what I wanted to talk about. The one thing where I, where I watched okay. that episode that was broken pieces and I watch it and went, oh, hey, this is awesome. Um, so uh, the whole point of, of uh, the, 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 uh, the, Rom- the, the message that the Romulans interpreted incorrectly or I mm-hmm. guess correctly, depending on whose point of view it was. And that right. is something, I, I, and as an aside, I really liked in this show and that, you know, they, 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 they give you this assumption that this message is terrible and it, they're going to destroy us. And it turns out, um, well, no, it's actually good for the sense. And then you find out, but in fact, it is bad for the organic. So I just like the way they <laughs> right. went back and forth on that. It's like, it's all really depends on your point of view. Um, but, uh, uh, the whole point was that this planet was, uh, orbiting or was in a system with eight stars. Uh, it turns out there, as far as we know, there, there, I, and let me rephrase that. I don't want to say as far as we know. We do not know of any star systems with eight stars mutually orbiting each other. Um, the Earth orbits one star, the sun. Right. Now, the nearest star system to the Earth is Alpha Centauri, um, and that is a three-star system. There is uh, two stars that are relatively like the sun orbiting each other, and then well outside them is a red dwarf, Proxima Centauri, that's going around them. And in fact, we know Proxima Centauri has at least one planet, um, uh, and it's an earth sized planet, possibly, possibly in Proxima Centauri's habitable zone. 
you know, where temperatures are okay. I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail there. Um, and I'm not going to say it's a, it's a habitable planet because Proxima is not a great star to be orbiting. Um, and they just found a, a, another star, another planet orbiting that star too, maybe. Candidate, yeah. but it looks good. Wow. Anyway, the point is that's a three-star system. We know four-star systems where there's a star orbiting one star over here, and two stars over here, and then they mutually orbit each other. Wow. Uh, and you can, you can keep going up that chain. Um, and the, the, the biggest systems that we know, uh, uh, there are two of them that are seven-star systems. I want to call that a septunary um, I, I should I should be careful here because the the, the Greek and the Latin throws me a little bit, um, and we know two stars like that. There 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 are just like one star with a binary orbiting it, and then like a binary orbiting that, and then two more orbiting that, uh, and so you can have these stable seven star systems, and that's it. We know of two of those. We don't know of any eight star systems. Doesn't mean they don't exist. The fact is, we know of two that have seven. And they're relatively close to Earth. They're just a few hundred light years away. Now, mind wow. you, the galaxy is 120,000 light years across. It's enormous. And if there are two seven-star systems within a few hundred light years, you know, a tenth of a percent of the size of our galaxy, something like that, is that right? Uh, or, or, you know, roughly a percent the size of our galaxy. There are probably hundreds or thousands of these systems out there, which means there are probably some eight-star systems. Wow. Not only that. <laughs> but when Rafi is showing the navigational hologram, Enoch, uh, a diagram of that system, the diagram she shows him is how I would build an eight star system. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now because I wrote about this for my blog and I put the picture up so I can oh. see it. It's two stars and two stars. So that's uh, four orbiting okay. each other. And then two stars and two stars orbiting each other. And then those two four star systems orbit each other like that. Wow. That would work. You could put a system like that together and it would be stable as long as the, as long as the each binary system, each of the two star systems are the individual stars are close together. So like that, and that these guys are far enough apart. And because of the way the gravity works, you want that to be stable. So that, that works. Uh, and that's kind of amazing. The issue is they put the planet in the center. Um, and they say that the planet's in the center. In fact, the best stable orbit would be well outside all of these stars orbiting them uh, like that. Um, okay. And then when they show the system, uh, there's a scene where they sort of rush through it and you see the stars fly by and then you see an asteroid belt and then the planet comes up. It's like, right. oh, but we just saw the eight stars fly by. So the planet can't be in the center of those stars. So a little bit self-contradictory on the uh, visual effects there. But I'm willing to forgive that because they went out. I, I think I don't know if they just made that system up, or uh, the way they drew it, or if they asked somebody or not. But they got it right. Well, see, that's such a cool thing to hear because that was one of the the complaints or comments or just something that I saw being kicked around online when that episode or those few episodes came out. Oh, you can't have eight stars in a system; it wouldn't work, and you can't do that. So sure you here, here to have you say that that's. Super cool. And, and I would have no idea that that kind of thing could and, and may well exist somewhere out there in the universe. That is. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I'm telling you, it's going to be rare um, sure. because it's just really easy to disrupt a system like that. But it's not that much harder than disrupting a seven star system. And like I said, we know two of those. So I'm, I'm going to give him this one, even though we Absolutely. don't know of one yet. I'll give it to him. 
How very cool. Hey, uh, I want to bring in one of our guests, one of our callers. Uh, the Vice Admiral has been waiting very patiently since we went on uh, to talk to us, to talk to you. Vice Admiral, welcome. Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Good uh, to see you, Vice Admiral. Getting by you too, Norman. You too. Phil, uh, to by you. the way, yeah, Phil, I don't, I don't know if you nice guys you ever too. met before, but uh, the Vice Admiral so. uh, from Barfleet throws the greatest parties at conventions that I have ever witnessed. I see. No well, thanks. It's not, it's not me personally advice? that does that. It's the group that I, that I founded that does, but I, I will take a tiny bit of responsibility. Okay. <laughs> Very good. And hopefully if we get you out in Vegas at some point for a thing, if that ever happens again, you'll get to uh, attend one if we do another one. You mean me? Yeah. Excellent. I just making sure there's <laughs> a lot of people here. I would love that. Thank you. I, I went to uh Star Trek Las Vegas two or three years ago and had a blast. It was a lot of fun. It is a very good time. So, Vice Amber, what's on your mind tonight? Oh, there's a few things. I was going to, um, since uh, Phil brought up the uh, the eight-star system that I know he also talked about uh, in one of his articles on Sci-Fi Wire there. And then we were also talking about, of course, there's the issue of, um, you know, the synths being non-detectable. Both of those things seem like they're ripe to be explained somewhere else. So the real question that I want to throw out there tonight is, how do we feel about this transmedia approach to so much of, of uh, stuff these days, TV, Star Trek, etc.? how you kind of almost need additional material to, to get the full story, and is that a good or bad thing? I'm against that I rest my case. Boom. <laughs> you know, John, I actually brought this up in the... The last episode, the last mission log live, and I think that it's, it's. I'm not a big fan of that because I feel that if you're going to have me sit down and watch 10, 11 episodes of a TV series, that's what I should be focusing on. And I think that you know, uh, the realist in me is saying that of course they're going to have these kind of like these uh, extraneous spinoffs because they want to squeeze a little bit of the dollar value out of this brand. You know, they want to have the books, they want to have the comic books, they want to have the action figures, they want to have all of these different things. But when it comes to com- like conversations that we're having, it's really hard for everybody to keep up with the Joneses. That, that's, that would be Indiana and Henry, of course. <laughs> but We named the dog no, Indiana. Uh, oh, by the way, Cyrano. Uh, shout out to... Cyrano, uh, I Cyrano. Hello. <laughs> shout out wow. to uh, Indiana. Am I going to have to talk to you guys? There. I'm going to have to lecture you guys about Star Trek. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. But you know, it's, it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing for everyone to kind of like try and keep track of every single piece of this transmedia admiral that you're talking about. Because when you're in a bar conversation, like we'll be at like say you know uh, the I bar or at uh, the Masquerade bar, say in Vegas, and everyone says, you know, hey, did you read Una McCormick's book? And I'm like, well, no, I didn't. It's like, well, you, re- you really should have, or else you won't know the full story. Well, no, I got the full story. I, I watched CBS All Access. I paid my money for that. That's what I wanted to watch, and that's what we can talk about. Because you're talking about something that it was, you know, uh, it's, it's accessible, but it's not really in the story. It's difficult, you know, to be uh, to be responsible to kind of try and keep up with everything. At least that's how I feel about it. I feel like if you're going to see something on screen, that should be like 99.9 percent of what the conversation should be, you know, uh, steered around. But that again, that's just me. Phil, how about you? I agree in principle. Um, I would, I would narrow it down a little bit more and say, as long as it's all there in the episode, um, that's fine. Uh, and then if they do something else, like for example, the short treks during discovery, if you didn't watch the short treks, 
then you miss the introduction of a character who's going to come and save the day at the end of the series. Exactly. Uh, and so that, uh, that, that made me sit back and think, is that a great idea? Because what if somebody misses that? Um, so I think it should all be self-contained. And then if you're going to do something outside of that, it has to be value added, but not critical. So I heard that um, there were uh, some, uh, some uh, comic books that had uh, Picard's Romulan friends in it. And I thought, oh, that's neat. I mean, I, I, I didn't need them explained, right? I knew what had happened, uh, that, that he was helping the Romulans, uh, uh, the refugees. And these are two that he befriended for whatever reasons. And then we find out that, you know, of course they have a hidden history. Um, but that's, that is something that an astute viewer will pick up on, I think. And there will be things I miss, um, and that's okay. I rewatch them. And then if there's a question and you can go to these other media and they're readily available, mm, I'm okay with that. Um, but I still feel that, uh, to get the whole story, I should, it should all be there. And then I can just get more by going elsewhere. How many, uh, Star Trek novels do you have on your shelf behind you there? None. No, okay. uh, no, I have red shirts by John Scalzi. I think that counts. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, I, 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 I've moved several times and over the years, uh, every time you have to move boxes of books, you're like, you know, I don't need all these boxes of books. Right. And so I, right. I, I've been donating more and more of them to the library every year. And so I'm kind of down to the essentials. Um, the, the one big Star Trek book I can't find is my compendium. Uh, uh, which I lost. I can't find it anywhere. And I had signatures in it. Uh, Chase Masterson gave me a picture of her that she signed and, and Bob Picardo and it's gone. And that's like the one I really wish I had. Well, see, that's why you have to come back to Vegas some year and we'll get all that together. I lent it to somebody. I just wish I knew who. (laughs) Um, I I have to agree with both of you. I mean, um, I, if it's a story that I'm interested in, I want more of that story, then I'm happy to seek it out and I'm happy to enjoy it. Um, they did a, since we were talking about Indiana Jones earlier, it was interesting to see little threads they dropped into like young Indiana Jones that played out from the movies and stuff like that is cool. And Star Trek is just such a huge universe. Somebody in the chat here uh, just said, Oh, and I lost the comment. I'm so sorry. Uh, but they, they said, you know, Star Trek is just so gigantic. Oh, at this point it would be impossible to know everything. That's absolutely true. So I think the, the onus is even more so on the producers and writers of the shows that we're watching to make sure that they're telling coherent and cohesive stories there. So you don't have to go find every other little piece of the puzzle to put it together. I remember when the um, uh, the Star Wars prequels came out in theaters. And of course, I grew up with the original trilogy. And there were other, you know, a few other little ancillary things that I picked up. But I really, I didn't watch any of the cartoon series, even though I hear that they're very good really didn't read much of the novels, even though I heard that some of those were very good. So I go to see Phantom Menace and go through all three of those movies. And then what I kept hearing afterward is, yeah, those are terrible, but they totally explained General Grievous or somebody else in this other thing, in this other series that you didn't watch. I still don't want to watch it if that's really the best that I can get out of it. I just say the stories might be very good on their own, but I should not have to rely on this other story 
to improve my enjoyment or, or fill out a story that they told incompletely somewhere else. Um, I, I think Star Trek generally here. does a very good job. Go, go ahead, Phil. Okay, I want to jump in here because I want to, okay. I want to antagonize Norman a little bit more. Um, awesome. <laughs> that's why he's here. Yeah. yeah. In a sense, all of Picard is doing what you're kind of upset about. Because How's it's that? all based on Next Generation and Voyager and, the, and Nemesis. Um, and so if you haven't seen those and you came into the series, you'd be like, what the hell is going on? Um, and I, I actually, um, I was thinking about it uh, bef- as, before the show started or right around the time I started watching Picard. Um, I looked up um, uh, uh, what are the essential seven of nine Voyager episodes because I watched Voyager ages ago. Um, and it turns out on Sci-Fi Wire, there was a good article. It says, here they are. And I watched them all. And I had forgotten about like Echeb and a few other things. And it, um, when, when, when Seven, there's that opening scene where Seven uh, barges into the Borg uh, 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 chop shop, I guess you'd call uh, yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, um, the House of Horrors, yeah. And there's this guy and he's dying and she kills him and she's upset. It, you know, it occurred to me, as she was sobbing, it's like, oh crap, that's Echeb. I, I don't know if she said his name or what. I, I missed it, but I realized who it was. Um, if I hadn't known, it wouldn't have been critical to the plot because it may have just been somebody she knew or it, did, it wasn't somebody she knew, which said a lot about her empathy. But then to find out, of course, it was the boy she might consider her son. And that made the thing with uh, Bejazel even bigger. Um, yeah that's fine. But there was a lot of that all through Picard. And if you didn't like, like when they transport off the cube and it was like, Oh, that was just using some device from, you know, I don't want to say a throwaway Voyager episode, but from a single Voyager episode from 15 years ago or whatever. So there's going to be a lot of that no matter what. I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and I think that, I think that if I can use, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> That's been a great show, guys. Very nice. Yeah, like, very no, nice. What but, else but can I, I think, be right about? <laughs> but I think if, if we use kind of like the, the music analogy, say, so I'm going to say like Rush is, is my favorite band, right? You know, they've, they've, they've produced like music since like the ni- 1968. And they have over, I don't know, like what, 30-something albums. But each, each individual album is a specific licensed part of their progression licensed part of their progression and not not i'm not saying that the books and stuff like that aren't licensed but if you want to give somebody the history of rush you give them a set of the albums when they market rush they'll market like three different sections of their chronology they don't give you the you know like the 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 off book performances that they had in some band in toronto or they'll they won't do these things that they did for charity because those are Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily canon or not canon. It's just that when you're dealing with something that is specifically TV based, you expect to stay in the realm of TV when you're being told the encapsulated story. Like you said, it's okay for them to add different things in the books, but as long as you don't miss the main story, then you're not missing what everyone else is talking about most of the time. Most of the people are like, you know, the deep dive fans are like, okay, I know all the trivia known to man because I've read every single page of every single thing ever. But things that people are like, you know what? 
this is Picard. It was on CBS All Access. There were 10 episodes. I watched it. This is what I can talk about. But those were based on the seven seasons of Next Generation and Voyager and movies that are also accessible to the general public. You don't have to search for those. You don't have to comb through the weeds to find those extra bits of detail. And I think that's what's kind of the, the Admiral's talking about, if, if I'm not yeah, speaking absolutely. out of turn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that including like some of the details from the final episode were only talked about by Michael Chabon after the episode aired in an interview, right? Like what happened to some of the characters that we missed at the end? The only way you get that is without any of uh, primary source material of any kind. It's just an interview with a showrunner. Right. Well, they should right. be watching it. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, okay? But, but by, you by the way, uh, a couple of uh, pertinent comments here. Um, one is uh, Rick who's saying, personally, everything, just speaking specifically about Rafi, like everything I needed to know about Rafi was in the show. I can fill in the blanks in my head canon like I've been doing with Trek and sci-fi films as long as I can remember. Um, and then Paul follows up by saying, you could enjoy Picard without knowing Next Gen or Voyager it just would be different. And uh, I certainly agree there. And by the way, Phil, comment just for you here. Barry Rice, friend of the show, says, yay, Phil. <laughs> by the way, my students love Phil's writings and will sometimes use them as launch points for research papers for my various astronomy and astrophysics classes. So, Yikes. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pretty uh, cool, huh? I hope they didn't fail because some, something I wrote, but uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Wow, I love hearing that. So very um, cool, and I, it's uh, it's always it's always lovely to hear that you know what you're what you're doing actually has an effect, um, especially now with students at home, uh, and and they're they're not in class now, so it's kind of yeah. nice to hear you know oh we watched your crash course astronomy series or something and that that makes me very happy. So thank you. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, Barry, a frequent uh, STLV goer. So again, we'll we'll get you guys into oh, nice. some yeah. sometime. Oh, sometime I want to go back to Vegas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, Vice Admiral, we, we got uh, some other callers standing by. Anything else that uh, you want to bring up tonight to our special guest or anything about Picard in particular you want to bounce off this? Well, I don't want to take up uh, any more time. This oh, take up great. a little more time. Yeah, That's all right, fine. fine. Phil, <laughs> let me ask you, since this is the kind of thing you normally would critique, shouldn't that cube have made some kind of an impact when it came down? Yeah, um, that's always an issue. Uh, inertia... They play pretty fast and loose with inertia in Star Trek. Um, it, I, you can always kind of sort of explain things like that. Like maybe they reduced its inertia when it came in and hit. Um, but, you know, that, that cube is like, it's like a kilometer across, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, it yep. dwarfs. Well, now we didn't see it up against any standard Federation ships, I don't think. And you don't, even, even when you see it from afar, I'm trying to think back, you, you don't get a sense of it. But even if it's, you know, 200 meters across. Uh, yeah. I mean, coming in just, just via gravity, um, the, the atmosphere is not going to slow it a whole lot. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it's going to, when it hits the ground, the fact that it's intact at all is a tribute to Borg technology, I think. Um, <laughs> yes. But holy cow. Yeah. That would make a hell of a crater. I it's kind of, think. you know, it's interesting to me now that this is uh, almost like a modern day, sci-fi trope is the giant crashed thing um so of course you had the giant crashed death star remnants in the last star wars movie you had the giant crashed star destroyer 
in uh, The Force Awakens. Um, we have the giant crash board cube, which is a cool idea. But yeah, it, when it lost all power and it's just sort of falling into the planet, it seems like a yeah, much, this, much bigger mess at that point. The second Death Star is 100 kilometers across, I think. I mean, or maybe yeah. maybe the first one was. I, I get them mixed up sometimes. I'm I'm more, you know... When it comes to star franchises, ah, there we uh, go. Oh, that's you know, cool. Yeah, there is, there is, there is uh, one among equals. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's that's the size. That is the size of a small moon. I do believe that that was pointed out in one of the movies. Uh, and so having that thing, even even to gently, just to gently kiss the planet, um, would uh-huh. would be devastating to the to the planet surface. It wouldn't just be sitting out there. It would be sitting in a crater, basically the size of the planet. That's no moon. It's a space <laughs> franchise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, uh, that, that's something that I will see turn up as well in, in scientific critiques of some science fiction. Like uh, we were talking about V before we went on the air tonight. And of course, the, the great kind of iconic image from those shows is these huge miles and miles and miles wide uh, spaceships hovering over the major cities of the world. And that alone, would just have all kinds of unintended consequences to uh, to the, the places that they're parked. Um, and then the, the same thing happened. Oh, I, I can't remember uh, the movie uh, made in South Africa. Similar idea, though. Where you, District 9. District B-13. Yep. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where you, similar thing. It just go like, yeah, well, that that's a cool image. It's a cool idea. But can't really do that in real life but yeah you'd have to you'd have to like basically reduce the inertia of these ships to nothing um or have something that can keep them hovering um and that's that's an issue and then they crash you know on independence day you see this gigantic ship coming into our atmosphere with fire coming off it and that was really cool but what they don't tell you is that yeah anybody underneath that's going to be incinerated yeah, right. uh, you right. you you think of it this way you know the reason a fire a fireplace works when you know you get closer to it it gets hotter because the the fire is occupying more and more of your field of view basically and so if the entire sky is covered by the ship on fire it's going to be just the same as if you're standing right in front of a fireplace and it's oh. it's covering that same amount of your field of view and you know you, your hairs are burning up and curling if you have hair on your face like i do uh, oh. as opposed to on your head um as you know, and your skin would, it would be bad. It would be bad if something like, and that's just one of many problems I would have. But the yeah. part of the fun of, of being a fan of a show like this and taking it just seriously enough and being a scientist is how would that work? How do we make that work? You know, the, how do we make an eight star system work? How can the sense not be detected? Um, and so that's, that's where I, for me, that's where the fun is. It's easy to just say, ah, pff, that's stupid. Um, and I, I don't do that. Any, I used to do that a lot. I used to review movies and it was, um, uh, it, it's kind of a, a, of a baloney way of making yourself feel superior, I think, is to say, <laughs> well, here's why that wouldn't work. And it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, smart guy, make it work. How can you, how can you retcon this? How can you, how can you fix this and say, you know, the transporter converts somebody to energy? Well, if you had that much energy, you wouldn't need warp drive. Um, converting sure. somebody to energy is huge so you know how how does that really work and so i i I, i'm interested in that sort of thinking because it's it's harder and it's more fun when you get to an answer 
Very cool. Hey, Vice Admiral, thanks so much for uh, calling in tonight. We're going to uh, move to our next caller. I see that. I see that. I see that he's coming from uh, the moon, wherever the moon is. At that, I cannot. He's coming from space. He's coming from Moon Base Alpha. Exactly. I I was going to say main mission. I see that. (laughs) Find his status. Take care, Vice Admiral Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. And uh, my, you must be very, very far away at this point. Oh, hey, I didn't see you come in. Oh my God! Look at the background. (laughs) Check this. Oh, cool. <laughs> awesome. I'm a huge Yes, yes, yes. Fan. Me too. Nice. Uh, again, totally scientifically plausible, realistic uh, treatment. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just was up here, you know, going over some um, um, nuclear waste disposal site reports. <laughs> oh, I see that you got your printouts from Kano. Yeah, so. exactly. Because, well done. you know, we got like 50 of them up here now. Yeah. Make sure you send them to waste uh, the nuclear waste dump site too, because one is that's oh, yeah that's one that's, not going uh, to end well for you. It's dodgy. And it, dodgy. So, <laughs> Phil, the Phil, it's twenty twenty. Right now man. we're going. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, it's twenty twenty. We got like fifty waste sites up here now. I don't know what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Can you imagine right. if we were still on fossil fuels? If President Gore hadn't fixed that problem, we would have been deep <laughs> crap right now. <laughs> Right, what's on your mind tonight? Well, um, uh, by the way, hi, hi, Phil. It's good to see you. Um, Howdy. I was going to go on about the eight-star system a bit, but uh, you already covered it. All I was going to say about it really was the fact that it was so implausibly, perfectly symmetrical seemed to say to me that it was artificial, a la Dyson Sphere, some mega structure. So I thought it was something that the mega, you know, next-level synths may have created themselves. I don't know how they got that planet kinda, in the middle, but I don't know if they, they either strongly implied it or they came right out and said they made that system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, and, so in, so in the end, it's like, well, they made it, so it works. <laughs> <laughs> those, those aliens were a big fan of like the Fibonacci sequence. They wanted to make things uh, everything just <laughs> <laughs> symmetrical in every way. <laughs> right. Exactly. So okay, good. All right. That was that was uh that was that. Um, I wanted to turn my attention back to the fate of Picard in the fact that uh, uh, in a sense, in an essence, um, the character of Picard is now sort of like the character of Doctor Who in that if you could just move his consciousness around, they could put him in different android bodies. I mean, he could have come out of the Gollum box looking like James McAvoy, you know, and so why not uh, do it again and again and again? They have this. I get that reference. That's Dude, other way. So That's many good. streams. That's Amazing. <laughs> Um, why not do it with, you know, Riker, Troy, whoever, you know, Jordy, whoever's around, you could reboot TNG in a totally different way than they did with the JJ track. So that was, well, they established that in Siri in the second season of next generation when they, they used the transporter to make Dr. Pulaski young again. <laughs> um, you know, and they could only make her as young as the DNA they had, but still, um, you know, yeah, funny I, I'm how that sure works. I'm sure, you know, somebody's got some of their DNA stored away someplace so that when they're very old, they can use the transporter to become young again. I mean, they could, but I would argue that Picard wouldn't do that. Picard would rather die than face immortality and um, and either change the basic nature of his character or, you know, see himself evolving into somebody like Q, who is just, you know, playing with whole species because he's bored. Moisturize uh, me. Moisturize so me. Yeah, so I kind of like that at the end when they said, in it. you know, you're not going to live forever. You're going to be just like you are now, except we fixed your, your, your fatal issue. 
But other than that, you're going to be just like you are now. And I thought, okay, it's a little bit of a gimme, a little bit of a, a MacGuffin for the plot. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, that's what part Picard would have demanded. I think, I think that is true to his character. So I was willing to buy that. You know, Brian, um, one Picard, one synthetic Picard is a curiosity and forgive me, forgive me, but an entire group, wouldn't that constitute a race? <laughs> and wouldn't be wouldn't we be judged on how we govern that race? Mm. Do they live yeah, on the planet you know, Picardo? I never bought that <laughs> argument from Picard in Measure of a Man. Um, it's like okay, so we've you still, but that doesn't have anything to do with Data's uh, sentience or anything. That's just a a slippery slope argument. Um, and so I'd have to watch that whole episode again. I mean, he's, he's right, but I just don't think it's pertinent to the case that was before them. I may be wrong. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and that's it for the conversation. Thank you. The, you're, yeah, yes, you're, 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 your handle isn't bad lawyer, it's bad astronomer. Yeah, right. right. I think exactly. there is a bad lawyer out there. Bad astronomer, worse lawyer. Something like <laughs> no, that. I, Wait. You know, I'm so glad, glad that you brought this up, though, Brian, because you know, this was an interesting call that we started to get into in our episode 10 wrap-up uh, when Eric had called in. I was on with Rick. Uh, we were talking about this idea of uh, the, the finite nature of life and, and the, the value of life because things will die. And uh, I thought Eric made an interesting counterpoint to that. But to me, honestly, that was one of the big takeaways of the show. I thought that was one of the great sort of thesis statements of the show, which was so cool. And um, I, I told Eric then, and I, I'll sort of reiterate here because it, it's a topic that I really want to do on a supplemental show down the road. You know, maybe in a few weeks or whenever we find the, the, the right guest to really kind of attack this from a moral and philosophical uh, point of view. I think it'd be uh, I think it'd be very cool to uh, to look into. Uh, and I love your point, Phil, about how that is totally in step with the nature of Picard, who he is as a person to say, no, no, I, the, the immortality uh, prospect is is scary and wrong and I, I would want this artificial body to actually have an end like that, that that makes sense and I thought that was so beautifully and lovingly expressed by Data and him wanting to have a sign off wanting to have a proper death it, it was uh, kind of one of the more beautiful moments of the show I thought I was um, thrilled by that I thought it was very well done and it's something that's been explored you know as far back as the Twilight Zone there are multiple episodes I think regarding you know people being put into android and do they want that yeah. yes or no well, and i don't know so if they're all going to say no in the end i mean i know for a fact that ken racer isn't out there saying <laughs> oh no i'm staying here forever in my so, android body in my yeah. android body yeah. but, but that's a really interesting topic in science fiction in particular is this idea of immortality being worse than death you know, it, it, the, the prospect of just going on and on and yeah. on and on is absolutely there. But to Picard's point, I get it. Could you give me another 10 or 20 years? You know, <laughs> yeah. just a little bit. Give me a century. Give me another century. Yeah, give me another century. We'll be good. I just, 
I want to live long to see the moon bases go up. That's what I want to live long. No kidding, man. Dude, (laughs) uh, Brian, I love that set so much. And look, I love Star Trek through and through. You know I do. But the the, the eagles are the coolest spaceships on TV. I I, I just kind of playing to my audience here a little. And how (laughs) he listens. (laughs) (laughs) He does. You know, the one thing about the the Picard Gollum, though, and and I know, you know, for the, the, the actual practical reasons that they have to, you know, have Patrick Stewart extend into season two, but I don't believe that in that end of, um, in, in the end of the season two, uh, season one finale, that did anyone ask Jean Luc if he wanted to be put into the golem? Well, yeah, that was my consent. point. It was kind of, uh, yeah. it, he was not consulted other than Data said, um, right. okay, you're going now. <laughs> it's like, what? Right. <laughs> yeah. And then he woke up and he wasn't James McAvoy. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I mean, crossing the streams here, Brian, like you did, you know, I'm um, one of my big fandoms is Highlander. And John, we talk, we tackle that topic a lot in, in Highlander Bates, you know, and there's that great queen lyric, like who wants to live forever if everything that you love dies before you do? We right? love will die. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John Queen champion. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, you know, it's a standard thing. Like we you can, are you can... the champions, Norman. Oh my we God. Stop. I wasn't going to say. Oh, uh, God. Oh, my there God. He went there. Earl cut him off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us uh, all the way from the moon. Please give commander Koenig uh, and Dr. Bergman and everybody our best. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry if I was a little late with the you know one point two five second light speed delay. I, I know Earth I and know. the Moon, but, but I, I, I did have one other question. It's like we know there are other forms of intelligent um, um, synthetic life, androids or whatever out there. Did the Romulans go around destroying them all after the Enterprise visited them? Like, is Mud's planet a, a smoking crater now? Because nobody went back to check on it. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. As soon as they got wind of those guys, it seems like they would go target them. You know, and Roger wow. Corby took care of himself. Basically. I understand that Zadvash and Romulan. Zadvash and Romulan translates to retcon. That's that's what I I've, I've read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it, that <laughs> that is the Romulan word for. Retcon. You're talking about crossing the streams, but look what happened when they they turned that antenna on. And a rift opens up above the planet, and the Chitauri start coming out. Why? Ah, so I was watching yeah. it like, oh, yeah, really? Right. They made them? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, hey, hey uh, Brian, cool. we we, we got to say goodnight. We got to move along to our our final caller of the evening. So thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate the call tonight. See you later. Say hi Thanks, to the friends, Bill. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. And uh, last but not least tonight, Paul calling in from the UK. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Kira, guys. I'm actually calling in from New Zealand, not from the UK. Uh, oh, Kira. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Tomorrow hey, is yesterday. Correct. Wait a minute. Earl. It's like nine Earl. hours ahead yesterday, something behind, nine hours behind tomorrow there. Okay. Oh, yeah, wow. so it's the, it's the afternoon here. So, uh, yeah, normally I'm at work and normally I listen to these podcasts uh, later on when they've been recorded but it's great to be able to, to call in live um so a long time listener first time caller for me huge fan wow. of the podcast um john you've been the soundtrack of my train ride every morning to wellington for so long and uh, you too uh, uh, as well now norman uh, thank so you it's wow. um thank it's so, so great much. having you come on to the show we've really enjoyed having you on and you have a very strong social media game uh, i enjoy your your tweets very much um 
So I don't really have any specific questions for you guys. Just have a few thoughts uh, around the first series, first season, um, and then maybe there's some things you want to pick out of that. But um, firstly, our thoughts: um, the de-aging of Patrick Stewart for his scenes in the past was really well done. I thought it was really nice and subtle compared to how they did it to him in a couple of the more recent X-Men movies. Um, right. So I really, really enjoyed that. Another thing, and I don't know if anyone else has pointed this out, the uniforms that we see throughout the first season, I really enjoyed seeing the consistency. They paid a lot of attention to make sure they had the right uniforms in the right episodes. So those original TNG uh, uniforms when Data was doing his painting, you know, getting to see them back in those classic uniforms. Then, of yes. course, the, ne the Nemesis uniform uh, in the last episode or so. Um, those new Starfleet uniforms, I thought they were superb so i just i really wanted to give a shout out to the to the costume department because i thought they were really really fantastic um and the other thing i wanted to say really is look, i love this show i love this 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 whole this whole first season um i was shocked when they killed him and i can't believe that q didn't show up at the end at that point uh. to sort of you know say hey you're, you don't worry we'll, we'll, we'll sort it out um I felt, though, that it was such a strong start to the season. That first episode um, was just so good. There was something about Picard at home where he was somewhat helpless, you know, with his, his Romulan housekeepers. I loved seeing him go into Starfleet and not being respected like he, he really should be and having to spell his name out. And also, if you think back to before the season came out, all of that merchandise, well, the, the posters, the trailers, all looked like we were in for a series where Jean-Luc Picard was going to be making wine. It was all around the vineyards. It was all, all around the, the, the dog. And I guess I wanted to see just a little more of that. And I don't know if we're going to be able to see that in season two. Uh, well, maybe we will if Guinan shows up with a bottle of Old Derridan whiskey. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to go back to France and spend a bit more time with his housekeepers and just explore a bit of that. But I don't know if we will. But yeah, so those are just some of my thoughts. Same here. I absolutely, I want more of the housekeepers. I want more of the bar. I want more of Chateau Picard. Uh, it, it was such a good way to start out. And I'm glad that at least we got those three episodes where we got yeah. to spend some time just chilling out, just getting to know who this Picard is. And, and I guess that's a great way to kind of wrap up the show tonight is when I ask all of you, what do you hope to see in season two of Picard? Is there anything on your wish list there? Uh, Paul, Maura Chateau Picard, cannot disagree with you there. Agreed. I honestly want the... Um, I want the Romulan housekeepers and the dog to have their own spin-off series because they're wonderful. <laughs> they, they should just, it should be the adventures of Picard's housekeepers at home. It would be I'll great. take an animated series. I don't care. Yes, as long as you get to see Why not? Yes. Uh, so I'm on the same page with you there. Uh, Norman and Phil, uh, any thoughts, wishes for season two? Oh, our guest, please, Phil. Oh, I got a million of them. Um, I was actually, I would love to talk about the characters on this show. We talked more about the science and, and not about the characters, but I, I really enjoyed how everybody on this show was, was broken in some way, uh, even Picard. And in the old series, when somebody was broken, it was very one-dimensional. They were the crazy scientist or somebody who had lost their spouse and so was maniacally wiping out planets or something. And in this case, it was much more human, much more based in reality. Um, an estranged son, um, a career given up uh, due to honor, uh, uh, Seven of Nines issues, um, showing her broken in a completely different way than how she was, how she was messed up psychologically um, in Voyager. I loved that. And I loved how 
the connection between her and Rafi at the end. And, and I thought, oh, that's yes. kind of sudden. We didn't really see that building up. But then I started thinking about their past, their histories. And they go, oh, in fact, I see them gravitating toward each other. Uh, and they just didn't show it. So I'd love to see more of that in the next series. I want to see more human problems, more things where I'm watching this. And it's not just, oh, neat, this planet's going to split in half if they don't do something. It's more like, oh, this person is going to lose their, their, their mind if they don't get this problem with their, their own personal history solved. That's more the kind of thing. That's, that's why Firefly worked. It's mm-hmm. why Battlestar worked. It's yeah. why uh, The Expanse is so good. These are, and, and we know these characters from Star Trek, um, but to see them fleshed out, to see Riker and Troy on that planet together, right. what a joy Beautiful. that was. Beautiful. So to see more yeah. of that. Yeah. And specifically in the next season, um, having Guinan on would be great. I would love to see Beverly and Wesley. You know, one of the things I think is going to be really interesting if they do it right is how everyone reacts to this Picard because he's not Jean-Luc Picard anymore. He's a facsimile of Jean-Luc Picard Mm -hmm. infused with Picard's memories. Obviously he has all the personality traits and stuff like that, but essentially he's an Android. You know, he's not Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard died. So how does Guinan feel about that? You know, with her El Orion uh, sensibilities, is she going to be able to to relate to him the same way as she related to him in all those other great episodes before? How will Riker and Troy feel about this Picard? He's a synthetic. It's not the Picard that got them through all of their history together. He died. Right. I don't I don't think that that's a debatable point. You know, he's been put into a different body. So how do all the people that Picard left behind now treat him in this new body, in this new form, knowing that they're talking to a synthetic version of Picard? How will that translate into the story? I think that's going to be fascinating because now you can actually get into the human element of these character relationships. How's Troy going to react to him now? How's she going to be able to read him? Does he have emotions the way that beta Zeds can actually apply themselves to an emotional response? Yeah. It's going to be amazing to see. That's what I'd like to see. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us tonight on the show. Nora, I'm going to ask you to uh, read the RPN promo here in just a second, but I do want to remind people that to find Phil badastronomy.substack.com, uh, you can also find it. You're at bad astronomer on Twitter, correct? That is yes. correct. Excellent. So uh, go find Phil. Phil's wonderful, and he is a, a uh, Trek nerd of the highest order, and we say that lovingly here. So uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. It has been a true pleasure to have you on the show again, and I uh, look forward to the next time we get to see each other in person. Thank you for having me on. This was great. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for being here. And I'd like to thank Paul for calling all the way from New Zealand, one of my uh, all-time favorite countries. I've visited your beautiful country uh, several times. Uh, big Lord of the Rings fan. So <laughs> thank you, future boy. Yes. And, and thank Yes. We're talking to you in the future. So yes. tomorrow is yesterday, as Phil pointed out. So thanks for calling in. I appreciate your support on the show. We thank everyone here for uh, finding us here at Mission Log Live tonight. We want to quickly remind you that the Roddenberry Podcast Network has even more shows to interest you. Well, sure, you already know about Mission Log and this show, Mission Log Live, but there are many more to get you through the week, especially Priority One Podcast, a magazine-style show 
featuring all the happenings in the Star Trek multiverse. Join them for their live show Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. We also have Women at Warp, a look at Star Trek through a feminist lens. We have The Trek Files, your weekly deep dive into the Roddenberry archive with Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. We also have the Daily Star Trek News, just like it sounds, your daily dose of Star Trek, all the news that fits in about 10 minutes. And finally, a science show that entertains as well as educates called Shabam. Shabam! Thank you, John. Give them a listen, and you can subscribe to all of them at podcast.roddenberry.com. Hey, so cool to have everybody joining us. They're, they're signing off. They're saying goodnight. Uh, there's Brian. There's Rick, David, Narda, Alan, Paul. Uh, Alan's saying goodnight, all. Great conversation. There's Chris. There's Ron. There's Rick. We even had a, a Star Trek actor herself, green girl Crystal Allen, in the audience tonight watching the show. So welcome to Trek fans and Trek performers alike. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment Executive Producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the incomparable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And if you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash missionlog. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network